Our pastor today gave me a four-page summary of his life, but somewhere between our class and here I lost it. And I was stopped at the restroom, but oh, never mind. But we're glad to have him with us today. Please welcome Pat Sutherland. Church of the Covenant in Enid uh, for 17 years. And before that, I was at El Reno for 12. I move around a lot. And then uh, before that, Bristow, Oklahoma for five, and my first church after ordination uh, was Lafayette, Louisiana. I was there for five. So uh, I've, I've passed by Perry. Many times in my lifetime. I grew up in Oklahoma City. My grandparents uh, were in Ponca City uh, on my dad's side. And so when they finished, I am just old enough to remember when they finished I-35 and how much quicker we could get to Grandma Matthew's house. So we'd fly by. I'd see Perry and know that I wasn't at Ponca yet. But, uh, it's my first time to be in town. And uh, I'm delightful. Uh, it's delightful to uh, spend this day with you. It kind of reminds me of when I was in seminary. Uh, I was was doing youth ministry at Bright Divinity School, TCU, Fort Worth, Texas. And the full four years it took me to get through there, I was doing uh, youth ministry, assistant ministry, out in Richland Hills, and. Uh, the senior minister had hip replacement surgery. And so I really got a taste for three or four months of pastoral leadership. But it happened to be during uh, the winter time, and in January is the week of prayer for Christian unity. And uh, so the, the, the tradition there, there were three churches. The Disciple Church across the street then, was the Roman Catholic Church, and next door to it was the Methodist Church. So the three, three churches would exchange pulpits for the week of prayer for Christian unity. And it was our year to go to the Roman Catholic Church. And that's when I found out they had four services. Now see, Josh said, Pat, would you come preach for me? I said, sure. I'm thinking it's one service, right? And uh, then he tells me, it's, well, we have church at 8.15 and uh, Sunday school at 9.15 and then a second service at 10.30. And, uh, so deja vu. Oh, I didn't have to preach Saturday night during that week of prayer. I just had the three on Sunday. But uh, it was supposed to be the exact same thing every time. And... Uh, you probably will hear a similar sermon to 815, but I can't guarantee uh, that the Spirit might move me to say something a little differently today. Uh, but it's, it's great to be with you, and I appreciate your hospitality. Um, our scripture 
is Matthew 9:35 through uh, chapter 10, verse 8. Uh, I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, I know the Pew Bible is the Revised Standard, and uh, I know that uh, this came from Oremus uh, Bible on the internet that's on the screen, but if, if the words are a little different, uh, don't tell me, okay? <laughs> Here begins the reading. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned, this is chapter 10 beginning, Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to Gentiles, and do not enter a Samaritan town, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with the skin disease, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Let us pray. And now, O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts find acceptance in thy sight, our rock and our redeemer. One of the things I enjoy since I retired is watching the late morning news during the week. And, and I kind of like Channel 9, and they have this little feature called, What Caught My Eye? And uh, it's always kind of entertaining to see what little things have caught, caught their eye that day. Well, there's a verse that caught my eye in this reading. And... Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever preached on this verse. You know, usually you've got the harvest and the workers, and, and that's a good sermon. And Jesus is recruiting his disciples to go out. He's already recruited them. He's commissioning them, actually, to go out, preach, and teach, and to, uh, well, he gives them some specific instructions. Don't go to Perry. Oh, no. He said, don't go to the Samaritan town. Don't go to the Gentiles. I want you to go to the lost people of Israel and say to them, and he's very specific in this, say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
That caught my eye. Tell them the kingdom of heaven has come near. Sometimes I wonder if we're the lost children of Israel. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus were to send his disciples to us today, would he tell them to say, God has come near. A cardinal entered the Pope's residence. He said, uh, Your Holiness, I have just received some good news and some very bad news. And the Pope said, well, I have had a very bad day. So give me the good news first, and surely it will cushion the bad news. So he said, well, Your Holiness, I just received a phone call from Jesus, and he has returned to earth to complete the kingdom of God on earth. And the Pope says, glorious, glorious. We've waited a millennia for Jesus to come back. What could possibly be bad news in light of that good news? And the Cardinal said, well, Your Holiness, he was calling from Salt Lake City. Close but not here. Near is not good enough. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What is preventing us from experiencing the presence and the power of God in our midst? You know, it just happens that my wife and I celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary just a few weeks ago. And it's also the 50th anniversary of my ministry. You see, we, we had a nice little honeymoon at Lake Eufaula, but I had to be back by Sunday evening for youth group. So I have been in the ministry. I like to count my youth years. I think those count. 43 years since I was ordained, but... Uh, 50 years, counting my college days with, uh, and seminary days with youth groups. And, you know, you kind of get to looking back when you hit a milestone like that. At least I did. Uh, and I looked at the world and I thought, I really, really expected to see things different 50 years of ministry. See, I, grow up, I, I grew up, I came of age during the Vietnam War. The nightly news always gave us that death count, how many lives we'd lost. I get to high school and uh, the racism wars began. Uh, in their brilliance, they, they decided when I became a sophomore that the best way to solve the race issue in Oklahoma City schools was forced busing. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie, Remember the Titans, but 
my experience uh, was much grimmer than that. Well, Linda's too. We were high school sweethearts. Uh, by my senior year, uh, we had Pinkerton security guards in full riot gear all through the school day. And somewhere a fight would break out and they would go and, and, and put an end to that violence, but it was tough. And uh, yeah, there was white flight. Those that were wealthy enough uh, were able to escape and uh, they moved out of the Oklahoma City schools. Uh, not me, I grew up in the tough neighborhood. As, as I told them in the early service, this is not in my notes, it's just memories. But my daddy always said that our neighborhood was so tough, we not only lived on the wrong side of the river and the wrong, wrong side of the tracks, our neighborhood was so tough they tied the children to the fences to keep them from biting the dogs. It, it was rough. It was rough. And a few weeks ago, uh, we'd planned to spend uh, time in Tulsa, but a uh, storm came through and blacked out a good bit of Tulsa, so we changed our plans and went to Oklahoma City. Uh, we spent time in the Memorial Museum and the uh, first American Museum, the uh, wonderful tribute to the indigenous people, 39 tribes. 39 tribes gathered. Um, but we also toured our neighborhoods. Went by the, the church that was a Baptist church 50 years ago. Now it's a different church. Uh, but that was Linda's neighborhood. Uh, things have improved. Uh, there's some new con construction, some improvements around the houses. Now my neighborhood really improved. I mean, Habitat for Humanity became active, and a lot of the junky houses were torn down, new houses were there, and that, that piece of land across from the elementary school, you know, every elementary school should have woodlands close by, because there's great rumors that go through the students in the elementary school. The woods, that's where the witch lives or the Giants, or the Sasquatch, you know, you name, you name the evil, it had to be hidden in those woods. Well, they're gone now, and have been replaced with about three square blocks of brand new houses by Habitat for Humanity. And even the house where I grew up, uh, our garage out back is gone, and they've replaced it with a brick structure Look kind of like a, a little apartment's probably back there. And the whole neighborhood's improved. But the lines of racism are still there. You see, um, we went by the church where I was baptized, Capitol Hill Christian Church, and it is now Iglesia Cristiana de Capitol Hill. And, and it's a Hispanic population. Uh, you, you drive down the path between our houses that I used to drive all the time, 
and it's been every business is a Hispanic has Spanish signage and uh, a, a friend in Enid who went to Grant High School that was our enemy uh, before the, the race problems in South Oklahoma City anyhow she said you know it's the barrios all over Racism is still there. It's not black white now. It's another prejudice. We are so close, yet we still have so far to go. With racism. With the environment. I, I remember going to youth group and having lessons about Earth Day. I, I, I remember environmental issues in camp curriculum. Uh, and look today at climate change. You think, you think there's not climate change? Ask the people who have lived through triple digit heat this summer. We haven't, but I'm sure glad I'm not living in Phoenix, Arizona. In the tornado alley, is it still Oklahoma? Nope. The tornado alley is now the the southern Gulf Coast, Alabama, Mississippi, a little bit of Louisiana. That's where the tornadoes are hitting. Weather has shifted. Storms hit with more ferociousness. Weapons and war. Well, I do rejoice at the news this week that chemical weapons in our country were destroyed. But still, the nightly news is a war in Ukraine. Every week there's something about the possibility of nuclear war. Uh, when will we be able to talk about kingdom work and not that it is simply near? only close. I think one of the worst things that can be said of people is that greatness passed by and they did not recognize it. Words of the poet Henry David Thoreau, the morning wind forever blows, the poem of creation is uninterrupted, but few are the ears who hear it. Every one of us hears, knows that one time when we felt the early morning wind. Every one of us has been privy to that uninterrupted poem of creation. Yet how many of our ears have really heard it? How many of our eyes have really seen it? What is preventing us from seeing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Holy and letting it into our lives. Now, one of my favorite authors, besides Dr. Fred Craddock, is Leonard Sweet. And uh, he noted four ideas about what keeps us at arm's length from the kingdom. Uh, I boiled it down to three because I already know I don't have time for four. But I tell you three so you can count them down at least, huh? 
One, rigidity. Two, fear. And three, blindness and deafness. One, rigidity. The kingdom doesn't always play by the rules that we recognize. Jesus counseled his disciples, his missionaries, to forget about the letter of the law, the preciseness of etiquette, so that they might become flexible enough to extend the good news to all. Our reaction to a new way of doing things is rarely, rarely, hey, that's a great idea. I mean, I think we're more likely to say, that'll never work. We tried it before. We've always done it this way. I mean, if it's not broke, why fix it? This will make matters worse, not better. How many of you like Charlie Brown? I, I love those scripts. I'm glad it's still around. There's one old, old comic strip where Lucy and her brother Linus have just finished a chicken dinner. What's better than a chicken dinner than realizing you've got the wishbone? And Lucy finds the wishbone and says, Linus, we can divide this wishbone, and whoever gets the longest part, their wishes will come true. And she started off on her list. She said, now, I wish for a new doll, a new bicycle, four new sweaters, some new saddle shoes, a wristwatch, and, oh, I wish for $100. Then Linus gets his turn. He says, I wish for long life for all my friends. I wish for peace in the world. I wish for great advancements in the fields of science and medicine. And by this time, Lucy has tossed the chicken bone away. In disgust, she walks off grumbling. You spoil everything. Our rigidity makes us resent those who see things differently. Rule benders, shortcut takers, and independent thinkers make us nervous. When Christ offered people the chance to participate in the kingdom, he didn't come with military might and political power. That's what they expected. You remember the story of the Palm Sunday? They're expecting Jesus to come in on the white stallion military might, drive out the Romans and establish the kingdom right then and there. And Jesus sneaks in the back gate, riding on the back of what? A donkey. They could not see a new incarnation. He sent them to the lost people of Israel because they could not see anything new in God's love. They let the moment, the kingdom, Pass them by. To fear. There are times, there are times, we know what to do. And we know how to do it. But we are frozen by fear. 
Fear keeps us immobile while it murders our hopes and nurtures our doubts. Some dare to even try to lead by fear. Now how many times did we hear our Lord Jesus say, do not be afraid. I mean, isn't that what he said? Especially after the resurrection when he'd come to the disciples. First words, do not be afraid. Well, actually, that's the first words of the gospel story. The angel Gabriel announcing, Mary, don't be afraid. And those poor shepherds out there in the fields, and they have the angelic choir show up. And what does the choir say? Don't be afraid, for we bring you glad tidings, good news of great joy. Do not be afraid. And third, well, there's that blindness and deafness. You know, we still have this frantic busyness. We got to get around. We got to get this done. Get that done. And to match that, we have this wonderful technology. By the way, hello if if you're here on Facebook. Oh no, I see myself up there. Ooh, talk about getting distracted. But I mean, we've got all this technology. And how many times have you been in a restaurant, you know, and there is that family together? You don't see it very often. It's like you got the family at the counter at the table together. And they've all got their phones out. We got earphones. Shut the world out. Could it be that we become blind and deaf to the sights and sounds of the kingdom because of our lack of attention? And dare I even say, lack of prayer? Let me ask you, have you ever seen a baby learn to walk? I mean, isn't that delightful? One of God's gift to us for having children is having grandchildren, huh? And you see those little creatures pull themselves up to try to walk, and they tumble and fall, and they're holding on to something, and they're, they're moving a little bit, and they're moving a little bit. And then they get the idea, I'll let go. And they let go, and they tumble and fall. Get up again, and they tumble. Sometimes they cry. But the the tenacity it takes to learn to walk. Standing upright, walking, running. You know, too soon they reach the stage where you go, hey you, come back here. Huh? What's more fun at the mall? Well, malls really don't move much anymore, do they? When you're at Walmart, or Sam's, or Costco, and seeing a young mom running after little one. They've mastered that remarkable physical gift of standing 
Well, if that defines our physical being, what's our most remarkable spiritual gift? Is it not kneeling down? If you're a disciple of Jesus, move up, move down. The future is on our knees. The future is knee deep. The future is bottoms up. We don't know when we're stretching on our tiptoes, but we do know when we're down on our knees. The depths are knee deep and we're weak in the knees. Repeat after me. Insects crawl. Fish swim. Birds fly. Humans pray. Insects crawl. Fish swim. Birds fly. Humans pray. Praying. Praying with body, heart, mind, and soul is the hallmark, I say, of humanity and its spirituality. So why is it that although we spend a year learning how to walk, we spend the rest of our lives trying to learn how to get back on our knees and pray? You know, a lot of churches used to have what's called prayer meetings. I don't remember that a lot. I grew up in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. I, I, I do remember there being prayer meetings, though, occasionally. If you wanted to date a cute girl, where I grew up, you dated a Baptist. <laughs> Luckily, as a minister, my wife uh, came over to the other side, to the dark side. <laughs> if you ask my, my mother-in-law at the time. <laughs> but they had prayer meetings. What do we have? Look on the back of your bulletin. What do we have this week? A discipleship committee meeting and board meeting. I mean, pickleball. There's nothing wrong with pickleball. I can't play it. But it's not a meeting. It's not called a meeting. I mean, we have planning meetings and long-range planning meetings, curriculum meetings, worship planning meetings, budget meetings, mission and outreach meetings. You know? It's there, you look at the whole month of calendar, there's meetings. But where are the prayer meetings? In the traditional Quaker meeting, prayer time was silent. Each soul quietly opened a door which their spirit turned to a frequency that didn't register to the human ear. I did think, I did think maybe the sermon would go over if I came here today as your guest and said, let us pray. What if we had 20, 25 minutes? Silence. Are we comfortable with silence? 
I, I've enjoyed my time and learned more about prayer from friends in the Catholic tradition. Starting out in Louisiana, I went to Jesuit retreat house, spent a week in silence. I started, it was winter time, and I started talking to that boiler thing in my room, you know. Pop, 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 pop. But I really have come to treasure. Go to New Mexico with the Benedictines. Up there. Is there again? I mean, hospitality is their, their real triumph, and they spend time in prayer, silence, prayer. And then there's other traditions. I mean, not everybody's into meditation, silent prayer. You know, there's some places where the thunder rolls. I've read about the Korean church with the thing called Tong Song Kido. And simultaneously, the worshipers pray out loud at the same time. Have you ever been, been to a church where something like that happened? See, my guy friends were Nazarenes growing up. And I spent some time with them going to their church. And in those days, the Nazarene church was a Pentecostal experience. And so we're in church and everything's going like I expect. We sing. We probably even sang, sing them over again to me. But then all of a sudden they said, let us pray. And the room broke out in sound. I hurt my neck popping up. What is this? Everybody's praying out loud. They're breathing out prayers and breathing in prayers. I'm dizzy. I, I can't keep up with it. The sounds of all those voices. Well, that may not be your type of prayer. But my point is to take time and pray. I believe prayer is the answer to our busyness. Prayer is the answer to our rigidity. Prayer is the answer to our fear. And you know, the greatness and glory of God does not always descend in a whirlwind. Sometimes greatness passes by. Someone once asked Albert Schweitzer, this might kind of date me, younger folk. Albert Schweitzer was a great philanthropist, missionary, missionary doctor, and theologian. <laughs> and probably would be deserving of the honor that when he was asked, who do you think is the greatest person alive in the world at this moment? Let me ask you, who do you think is the greatest person alive at this moment? Well, Schweitzer replied, the greatest person alive at this moment is some unknown individual in some obscure place who at this hour has gone in love to be with another person in need. How many people have stood numb and dumb while the kingdom passed by? 
How many people have kept on with their lives, not missing a step, but without changing their pace, without turning their heads, or even turning around, while the kingdom of heaven passes by? Church, church, I beg you, let it not be said of us that we stood in the presence of the kingdom of greatness, the kingdom of God, that we stood in the midst of the kingdom and disbelieved or were ungrateful. Let it not be said we only came near to the kingdom of heaven. May that be our challenge.